0: to the Coach Steve Clark Show, where he will encourage, inspire, and equip coaches, players, and parents who will in turn motivate and help others to promote the great game of tennis, foster sportsmanship, and develop greater players and people. Thanks for joining us, and here's your host, Steve
1: Clark. I can't be broken, babe.
0: Hello, everyone. This is Steve Clark, and thanks so much for tuning into the show. Today is special uh, because I get to talk with uh, another former player of mine, and it's just awesome to see how guys move on in life, make a name for themselves, and serve their communities by being great leaders. I could have a podcast a week with former players, probably, uh, to share uh, what they're doing. But today I am talking with Chris Taunts on various issues regarding junior tennis and particularly transitioning to college tennis and beyond. And we'll talk about uh, both boys and girls, but uh, the majority will be uh, girls tennis today, uh, uh, most likely. So, Chris, thanks for coming on, and how is how is it in sunny Southern Cal today?
1: Coach, uh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be on your show. I think you're doing a really good job uh, with the messages you bring each week. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the show, but, uh, so I'm excited. Uh, it's great out here. I'm actually in Palm Springs uh, tra- training with Jose Garris with – some of the younger juniors that hopefully are transitioning, uh, I think are transitioning into the pro level. We got one girl who's actually going to college next year. It's pretty good. So it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be out here for sure.
0: Yeah. So who are, the, who are some of the girls? And uh, is, uh, yeah, you could probably say something about the girl going to college. I don't think there's an NCAA problem there. <laughs> so who's uh, who are the yeah, girls you're no, working uh, with?
1: There's four girls here. There's um, the Claire Lou who who I travel with um, throughout the year. Uh, she turned pro last year at, at the U.S. Open. Then we got um, Ann Lee, who uh, Claire played the finals at Junior Wimbledon. Who's going to LSU um, with uh, Mike and Julia Sell. Um, and then uh, we have Coco Goff who just turned 14, who got to the finals of the Junior U.S. Open. And then Haley Baptiste. Uh, she's pretty good herself she's i think she's 16 going on 17 um and she's unsure what you know what she wants to do whether it's college or the pros so there's four of us there's four girls and then and then i got nicole gibbs too that that i kind of work with She's, she's about 120 in the world she went to stanford uh very good player she's looking to get into the top 100 here before wimbledon so yeah it's pretty exciting
0: and you also work with sloan stevens right
1: yeah, that's correct. she uh, she's off the Fed Cup right now uh, in France. So I worked with her last week. Uh, she's doing pretty well.
0: And you guys are uh, training on clay, right now.
1: Yeah, we're we're training on uh, on clay. There's a uh, there's uh, two two uh, 80,000 tournaments coming up, uh, Charlottesville and Charleston, and they, they they do a playoff. So whoever gets the best results in in Two of the four, there's four tournaments. Whoever gets the best in two of
0: the four, they get a wild card main draw of the French Open. Wow, nice. That's actually one of the things yeah. I want to talk about today is just how some of these tournaments work. So when people are, you know, watching on TV or they see these players, they go, well, how did that happen? How do, how do I get there? You know, what's the, what's the, what's the, uh, the ladder i got to climb. I think that'll be real instructive to a lot of people out there. So uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. And, uh, you know, Chris is a humble, hardworking guy, so I'm going to embarrass him a bit uh, by briefly going through his journey as I think it's really instructive to young players, um, their parents and some of the coaches. And then I'd like to get into the practical aspects of what it takes for players to transition to college and then uh, for some of them, like some of the ones you just mentioned, onto the onto the pros. How does that sound, Chris, aside from the embarrassing part?
1: Yeah. I don't know the embarrassing part, but maybe we skipped it.
0: Yeah, that's, that sounds good to me. All right, so as a junior, Chris grew up in San Diego, and he was high as 15 in the nation in the boys' 18s and number one in Southern Cal. In college, uh, he was an example of hard work pays off. Uh, Chris played for me, and he came in as a freshman, um, and he was not in the top eight. Now, sometimes memories get fuzzy, but I remember that to be the case, and he was on a partial scholarship back then, but... He worked his tail off, and he ended up being uh, the number one player for us. Top twenty-five in the nation collegiately. He was a conference on a conference championship team. Uh, He became a team captain, and he won uh, both what's called the uh, at the time the Big West Scholar Athlete uh, of the Year. That's out of all all uh, male athletes, and then uh, not only for UCI but the conference, and then uh, the regional Arthur Ashe Sportsmanship Award. So. Not only did he work hard on the court, but he did it with uh, with class. Although I do remember in practice, you know, there's always that training. there's always that uh, I remember, I remember one match we we used to have uh, five set matches for challenge matches. So those of you listening who play college right now, yeah, we didn't have a huge limitation on time and uh so we had a five setter and I remember when you lost to Mark Tardy. if you weren't too happy you weren't you didn't earn the sportsmanship uh award on that that evening I think. <laughs> that was that was that was in the fifth set. So. Yeah, that was in the fifth set I think, yeah.
1: Hey, but you know how as we get older I don't ever recall that long. Yeah, <laughs> I don't
0: think I lost. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's right. Exactly. That's that's why I have to check some of the facts because I don't know it gets fuzzy. <laughs> So in the pros after uh, after Chris graduated, which is another great thing in itself. I mean, there's a lot of pros out there. There are only a handful. I'd be curious one of these days to find out on the pro tour how many have actually graduated a college and, and made, you know, done pretty well in the pros. Uh, you know, there's a few out there. And uh, uh, anyway, so um, he reached, uh, you know, in the ATP. Uh, it was about 600 in the world before he had an injury. What happened to your – so what was the injury And that's what took him out of uh, playing.
1: So I got an impingement in in my shoulder. I was diving at Wimbledon, um, and and I just messed up my shoulder. You know, at that point, I I had transitioned into playing more doubles. So I think within a year, I got up to about 150. And uh, at at the time, they were talking about phasing out doubles. And that, that was right when the Bryan brothers were coming in. They did a good job of kind of saving the doubles tour and looking back i always felt like maybe i should have really made a push to play doubles um but uh, it, you know i was i really wanted to play singles and, and uh, but the money was running out quick so right i decided that you know to, to call it a career
0: yeah well so, so you did you do a boris becker dive on the grass and that's what happened
1: yeah, it just being uh, stupid. <laughs> but, you know, you're, you're you're so excited to be there, and uh, uh, I, it was just a, a dumb thing I did. But
0: yeah,
1: it all worked out, you know. Yeah. After that, I went to business school, and it, it worked out great.
0: Yeah, well, you know, you also had a, what, a win over Leighton Hewitt and Ivan Lubitsch?
1: That's right. And Paul Goldstein, if he's listening. Yeah, there you, you go. Him.
0: Paul, did you hear that? Yeah. So, And for those of you, uh, I have a podcast with Paul Goldstein. He's the current uh, men's uh, coach at Stanford, and he was a four-time All-American and uh, quite high up on the tour as well. So that's a good win. Yeah, the, all the good wins are right there. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't know, yeah. Lubacic is uh Federer's coach. So that's a solid win that's right fair. there. So yeah. – um now he now Chris mentioned he said you know after he played uh, he went on to business school well that's that's a huge part for those of you listening wanting to go to college et cetera is because his education was really important he graduated uh, went to UCI uh, 1991 and 95 got his uh, bachelor's degree and then uh, but afterwards he came back I remember uh, writing a letter of recommendation for him for uh, for grad school and he ended up going to getting his MBA at UCI. And then he became a financial advisor, and then he was teaching. Though he taught a, uh, it was hard to get a hold of Chris because he'd be on the uh, on the court early in the morning uh, or doing financial advising, then late at night and traveling back and forth. So he was quite busy, and uh, he coached during that time. Uh, he coached a lot of the top juniors in Southern Cal. A lot of them went on to play number one at places like UCLA and Michigan. And then he's currently now the USDA uh, national coach for uh, the women's program. Um, he's one of the coaches there, and he currently works, as we talked about, with Sloane Stevens and Claire Liu. Sloane Stevens, I guess, is what, about nine in the world?
1: Yeah, she's nine right now.
0: Yeah. Um, so now there's a uh, is there a group of uh, you know p- folks that just uh, concentrate on the gals and then some on the guys? Yeah, uh, yeah that's
1: the way, the way we do it. Um, I originally came in. I was part time. I was working with the men and the women. Uh, we had a really good young group on the women's side that was pretty consistent and already built up. And, and actually the the people that built it up built up this program. In that program, we had we had uh, one we had three three of the eight or nine girls that were there got the number one in the world in the juniors, which is that's pretty amazing. That's pretty special, and it shows how good this those coaches were. Yeah. So it's pretty,
0: pretty amazing. So, one of the things I want to talk about, and oh, actually, you just, when you say the coaches, now obviously a lot of these uh, girls had their own private coaches before they were kind of working with USTA. That's
1: correct. And so, That's the, correct.
0: And, and, yeah, right. go, go ahead. And like
1: uh, Claire Lou also, not to leave out uh, Mike Jeanette, who I think he got Developmental Coach of the Year. He, he worked with Claire since she was six. So he, he was part of her development as well. But, yes, the, uh, a lot of these girls had their own uh, pri- private coaches as well.
0: Yeah, and, and, you know, that's a kudos. Just, you know, it's the grassroots. It's the guys grinding day to day early in the morning with those kids. And then uh, the kids work hard. And then, uh, you know, then, you know, they get recognized by other coaches. And, uh, you know, it's just a big uh, effort to work together to get them, uh, you know, to get get as high as they are
1: you're right yeah it it takes uh it takes a lot of people to to, on this journey as you know and you know you you might work with a girl for one or two years and then then at that point maybe someone else works with her
0: yeah
1: Uh, at the end of the day at the end of the day it's just about getting them better
0: yeah well, now that uh, people listening know a little bit about your background, I'd like actually to touch on a couple things that we've talked about or that might be between the lines. And first thing is, and uh, Chris, you know, just I uh, want to maybe chime in, have you chime in on a couple things, but one is hard work. Um, you know, there's no substitute for it. And people say, ah, you know, that's, you know, it's obvious. But you know what? There's only, I've, and I've told players, I only have a handful of players on that I can count. You know, even out of the numerous guys that have gone on past college, uh, you know, some of them I've talked with on my show, you know, Trevor Croneman and some other guys, uh, every one of them had one characteristic in, in common, and that's extreme level of hard work and, and persistence and going on. And there's only a handful of guys that I remember I actually had to tell them, you don't, you need to take some time off, you need to take a break, you know, it's like, and that you're one of them. And uh, so it's like, you know, hey, you know, Chris, no, don't go in the weight room today or no, you need to take time off of doing the conditioning because we've been playing a lot and you need to take a break. And I think that's a rare characteristic. And I would think most of the time, you know, some of the guys that I coach, you know, they'll point out some guys on tour that maybe aren't the hardest workers or they're a little bit mentally squirrely. And I go, hey, well, that's your those are exceptions and they got a lot of talent, but I bet they would be a ton better if they worked harder and were more mentally focused. So one of the things is just hard work and I'm going to give you some examples and then uh, you can chime in here, Chris, is from you know, you know Chris went from you know and this is very common in college and this is the point I'm getting across to the juniors listening is he didn't start, you know, he wasn't one of the great players on the team to start with. He started sub eight and you know not even necessarily on the traveling squad or you know on the traveling squad, but not playing and he was on a partial scholarship. And he, but he went to number one after a few years, or not actually after a couple years. And then uh, from z- he went from basically zero in the country and worked his butt off. And by his senior year, he was top twenty-five, made it to nationals. He was you know zero on the ATP tour and went there to top 600, 150 in doubles. Um, you know, so it takes work, and it just you just keep plugging along. And I know, I think you wanted to be one in the world at one time, and that was your passion, your motivation. Right. And, you know, yeah, bumps and bruises along the way. Um, so, and I remember one time I, I required the guys to run a sub six minute mile. And Chris uh, wanted to run a sub five. And for a tennis player, man, that's darn good. And because, uh, you know, it's just a different type of running that we do. And, uh, you know, so th- the day at practice, I had several guys and myself, we each ran a quarter mile as fast as possible, like a sprint. And then Chris had to stay up with us. And you ran, I think, what, a 450 or something?
1: That's right, yeah. Hey, that's
0: a good memory. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think a couple of the guys who were running the mile that day or the next day uh, ended up near a trash can. But uh, so you um, – yeah. So, uh, anyways, you know, maybe mention that. You know, you know you're know, you a hard worker, and how do, you, how do you see the kids, a lot of the juniors these days? Do they have that perspective? And obviously the ones that are doing really well do. But uh, maybe you could just, you know, chime in on that.
1: I mean, that's a great question. I, I I've been all I've ever known is, is, is working hard. And I get that from my from my parents, from my, my dad's a workhorse, and I still I still think it. At the end of the day, you want to just keep getting better. You might run out of time, like okay, I ran out of time, but you're competing against yourself. You're not competing against others. The game doesn't end until you say it ends. So I remember I, I listened to this podcast with Simon Sinek, I think, and he was talking about there's two two uh, types of games. There's the uh, finite game where there's you know like a, just say one match where there is a certain out You know if you don't win the last point you lose the match. But he said you want to be more involved in the I think it's the infinite game where there is no finish line. So it's like a, a kid playing playing checkers with you and the, the kid loses and he says let's play again. Let's play and you keep playing and he keeps playing until he wins. And I think that's the perspective that a lot of these juniors need to have is you're competing against yourself. So you might lose one week. Guess what? That's part of tennis. It's going to happen probably every week unless you're Roger Federer. So you want to make sure that when you do lose, you learn from it and that you keep trying to get better. And that could be getting better mentally, uh, you know, physically, getting in better shape, or, and also just improving on your game. And I remember, I get real passionate about this stuff, but I was talking to Jim Currier, uh I think it was about last October. Uh, no, actually at the U.S. Open. At the U.S. Open, he was talking to our American pros. And he said, uh, you know, I, I don't have the most talent as everyone else. But there's one thing I did is I trained very hard. And he said, well, you know, maybe people can look back and say I over-trained. And maybe that's why I stopped early. But I didn't want to leave it to chance. What if I didn't? And he said, "I challenge all of you to make sure you do everything in your power, so uh, you look back and you have no regrets." And I think that that should be the goal. Instead of focusing on my UTR is this this week, or uh, you know, I'm not going to play number one, or it's just get better. And, and if you can stay calm and have that perspective, I think uh, I think you will get better. And the last thing I'll say is, you know, Sloane Stevens, she's been a great mentor to, to Claire. And uh, one thing she, she said to Claire in Miami is, you know, Claire Claire didn't think she played well at in Indian Wells, and Sloane uh, Sloan, uh, lost uh, second round at Kazakina. And she, she went up to Claire and said, all this doesn't matter. Just stay calm, and maybe this week's your week. She said, I didn't play well in Indian Wells, Claire, but maybe this week I win it. Who knows? And, and as we know, Sloan well won that week. But that, that's a great perspective to have: is you got to handle the winning and the losing the same. And the whole goal is to stay positive and
0: try to get better. Yeah, you know, and the thing is, is and I and I tell a lot of juniors, I, I call it uh, junioritis, where you know, kids. Uh, and I remember talking to the guys on the team when you were playing about this, is because there were some guys on the team they think, man, coach, why, how, how did, how did I lose this guy, man? And the juniors I used to beat up on him. And I said well let's see you're six foot two and you were that way when you were uh you know a certain age and the other guy was five foot four and uh you know you played him and you beat him and now he's six foot and he's grown and his game has gotten better you've gotten better but he's gotten exponentially better just because of his physical stature and i said you know now you guys are on parity so now it's a now it's a dog fight And it's, you know, people just develop at different rates, and they mentally and physically and emotionally. And so, you know, that's why you just got to keep doing your thing and not worry about uh, other people and what they're doing. And you just get as uh, good as you can at the time.
1: Boy, you got that right. I I can name so many different kids. Uh, There's one kid that that, uh, he's like a, I guess I'd say a little nephew to me. I've been working with him since he was nine I remember when he was 14, he lost, and he was sitting outside his car, and he was crying, and he said, I'm going to quit tennis. And uh, he's just a little kid, you know. And so I had gathered all the kids that got the number one that I worked with in Southern Cal. I had texted them and said, what was your ranking in the 14th? And surprisingly, all those kids that were, you know, two of them were playing number one at UCLA. One was playing number one at Harvard, and they all weren't that good in the 14th. And so I sent that text to this kid, and and he stuck around. And and guess what? The kid grew six inches, which helped. But this kid just kept trying to get better. Now he's going to Arizona, I believe, on a full ride. But he's one of the best kids in Southern Cal. And uh, you you just never know. You you really don't. And one thing I do remember from my college days is that we had a guy on our team that used to beat up on me in the juniors. And all of a sudden, I got stronger. I I actually used this story the other day.
0: Who, Who was that?
1: And. Uh, Kenny Cruz.
0: Oh, yeah, Kenny, Kenny.
1: Cruz. He's, yeah. He's like, yeah, great guy. And um, But I just remember in college, it, you know, now he got me on the corner and, and I was pretty strong with my legs and, and what I could do. And, and I felt like, uh, you know, I, if I got him on the corner, he wasn't as strong as me. And or, it was a big eye opener. And, or, I just, you know, there's something to be said for being able to get to the ball and, and being physically fit, too, which really helped.
0: Well, uh, and you know, for juniors listening, so Kenny would win matches just by attrition the the, the guy would just, he was like a water bug and he would just get to every ball and he could, he could smack it pretty good, but he was just little; he could only impart so much power. So I could see where in the younger days he could just wear guys out and just, uh, you know, just take them down. But as you get bigger, um, you know, Kenny won some good matches for us and, uh, you know, uh, but Chris was, you know, playing one that year, and Kenny was playing six, and so it's the type of thing where, as you develop, um, everybody has their role, um, everybody has their the rate at which they develop, and all that. So that's a, a, a great example right there. Um, another thing is that's really important is, you know, sometimes you just got to be really specific at what you're working at. Like right now, my main focus for. Uh, my son Graham is—he's got to work on his serving volley and his ability to play against serving volleyers. Work on his passing shots and his lobs. Because if—and this is even in college level with the guys—I find, and I think, and I know, Chris, you agree 100% on this. I find most people just really lack the transition game, um, as well as the ability to really finish at net. Um, and the reason why is because people don't come to net, so you don't know. How to play against somebody come to the net because nobody comes to the net, and here's 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 the subtlety is people think well I can just you know I'll just pass them and I'll just stay back or you know whatever play that kind of game, but the difference is you don't know the nuances, based on uh, based on when somebody comes to the net because if you don't go to net you don't know what shots are created at net you don't have in other words it's it you know I call it outside your well this is I don't say this to a tennis player but uh, outside your plausibility structure in other words here's the deal. If I go to net, I know if Chris, if you try to pass me down the line, I'll actually change my grip to more of a backhand grip so I get more angle on the volley and I can hit an extreme volley even though I'm on the stretch. Somebody who doesn't get the net a lot keeps the same grip. They might even have a bit of a forehand grip and there's no chance they're getting that thing a really sharp angle. But if you don't play net enough, you don't know that somebody can do that. So you don't react to a short angle cross court volley. And so one of the uh, perfect example of this is one of my players, uh, was a, it was a critical match and he kept passing down the line. And he, you know, aside from missing, I said, look, I said, even a blind squirrel finds a nut. You know, so if it's like, if you hit the thing down the line, all the guy has to do is reach out and the ball is hit on an angle away from you. And it's really hard to get that ball. But if you can hit that ball, because this player does not close the net tight enough, if you can hit that ball cross court where it's down a little bit, he's going to have to hit down the line. And hitting it down the line off the cross court means he's actually changing direction. And if he doesn't hit it well, it's going to shoot off wide. And I said, that's way more difficult than just sticking your racket out. And having a ricochet cross court and the ball's going away from you. If he hits down the line, it's actually coming to you a little bit, possibly, and it's easier to chase down. Sure enough, match point, he's been hitting all these down the lines. I said, I said, if he comes up the net, man, I want you to go cross court. So he hits a cross court, the guy dumps it in the net. And because it's just a tougher shot. But he doesn't know that because when he does, he doesn't get the net enough to know himself what all the nuances are. So I think that's a. So, anyways, the point I'm getting at is I remember you were playing. We had, we had a match against Pepperdine, and the guy you were going to play um, was uh, had severe topspin. And, you know, you were both nationally ranked. And, and I remember because you come in a lot, we had to work on your half hop, your half volley off severe topspin and getting it down at your feet. So I remember we were down on court. The number one court down in the Inferno, which was the lower courts, and I was just feeding you a ton of just heavy, hard-hit topspin balls, and you had to half-hop it, and I would try and pass you, because you had to be able to develop that shot uh, in case the guy hit it. And sure enough, you know, came came through for you. I also, remember, you had a two-hand forehand. Uh, you had a two-hand forehand, and I had we had to get you with a one-hand forehand because when people would go, you had a one-hand backhand, two-hand forehand, and we had to get you. A, the ability on the run to be able to hit a one-hander so people couldn't take advantage of the two-hander and you know being the lack of reach and we would do that I remember in the mornings we do it after practice sometimes and uh, and you end up I remember the first time you hit one for a winner you just like you look over there you go coach it <laughs> works you know and then now yeah. I think you predominantly hit with yeah. a one-hander so my point is this and jump in is you know, sometimes those getting better is just one thing, and you just work on it for 45 minutes to an hour, and then again on another day. You know, you don't spend all your time doing it, but you work on those things, and eventually they become who who you are.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think uh, you hit on a, a lot of really good things there. You know, I think that was a gift you had is for me anyways and probably for the guys on your team and everyone you've worked with can probably speak to this, is you're able to keep it real simple. So, uh, like you you mentioned, Graham, who's your son, and you guys are working on transition right now, and and maybe that's your vision for his game. And the way I see it is, right now, no one's really coming to the net. And you can even see it at the pro level. It's a much different uh, type of sport than than when we played. It it can be one-dimensional at times. Uh, So I personally think maybe... You know, soon, well, he we might come back, and you can see like Nisha Arab does it. and There's a couple other people that do it pretty well. Uh, I know Claire Lou She loves coming forward. And the girl I work with, but uh, that's the first thing. You're able to keep it real simple. But uh, you also have to remember too that with these juniors, the younger ones, I see no reason why uh, you, you have you know you have plenty of time with these kids to. To develop a slice and work on drop shot work on playing heavy work on taking time like you can always work in little things but at the end of the day yeah you want to have a vision for for how you think they should play if you can close your eyes and say you know in four years i want you to look like this and you follow that vision and then along the way you just try to tweak the little things i'm going to give you one more example is you know I, I always hear i hear this a lot but, you know, you know, American tennis is big for big for you. You know, maybe more the guys, but uh, well, that's because we're re- rewarded for that because the courts are so darn fast. They're just, just lightning quick, so you do get rewarded for that. And uh, last year at the Open, at the U.S. Open, uh, Uncle Tony, who's uh, Nadal was, was Nadal's coach forever, his son is I think 14 years old. It's, uh, this kid's obsessed with tennis and he's a, you know whenever there was an opening on the courts he would jump jump out there and, and what this kid could do he could slice drop shot and a good understanding of the court well that's because he grew up on clay where you have to you have more time to set it up but it's just an eye-opener now this kid's 14 and you know he can do a lot more than a lot of our 14 year old but that's the challenge is you, you do want to work on on the intangibles, you know, the volleys, the slice, things that I think can can make these kids an overall better player.
0: So, Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, not that I need to clarify too much, but for people listening, uh, yeah, I'm not necessarily teaching uh, the, the servant volley as a soul, but what I do is as a soul part of your game, but in order to develop um, your ability to hit uh, volleys really well you want to be able to uh, you know get the net as much as possible and so you work on the transition game off the ground with the slices and the approach you want to be able to hurt people on the approach but you got to be able to close and one of the ways the best ways to learn it is just to serve and volley and you just practice getting in getting in getting in because here's the one of the issues is when uh, juniors you know they don't they think, well, why am I practicing? I'm not going to play like that. Well, you'll eventually play more like that if you practice it a lot. It just it kind of leaks into your game. But the way to do it as much as possible is actually just force yourself to do it. And one of the best ways is just to get in because most people, if you leave it up to their own devices to play off the baseline, they'll never go in. It's like, well, that ball wasn't very short. Yeah, it was. That was pretty short. And so you just kind of, uh, you know, force the issue where they're just uh, getting in. That's why when when you're on the team, and I've been doing it ever since, you know, we start off practice, you warm up a little bit off the ground, then we get right into serving, volley half-court doubles. And it's the idea of just, you just got to develop this feel for coming forward on just about anything. I remember one time, uh, Yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah, I also wanted to say, the more comfortable you get with volley, and probably the less you're going to panic on the approach. Right. Sometimes you see, nowadays they go for such a big approach because they they don't want to hit that volley. Right. That's what I wanted
0: to add. Right, right. Yeah, and I remember one time, uh, you know, a couple guys on the team, you'll know, it was Neil Grover and some guys like that. Uh, I would say, uh, hey, guys, uh, I want you to serve in volley here, but you can't let the ball bounce. And they're like, you're kidding me. And I said, no, man, don't let the ball bounce. And they said, but I can't get that. And I said, yes, you can. It's it's just a matter of what you're used to. And you've got to, you've got to learn how to reach. you got to learn how to really get after those balls. And after a while, you know, they won some gold balls and doubles, you know. <laughs> don't let that ball bounce, baby. Get in there. So,
1: well, Here, here's another one, one more. One, yeah, I'm go for it. One more good example. Go for it. I'm going to use a, a, junior, a junior that maybe some of these guys know. He's a brandy Nakashima. Um, this kid's very good. Uh, he actually got a wild card into, I think, Indian Wells, in the qualifying of Indian Wells. and There was a, a 150, 150K 150 the week before he got a wild card in the main draw. I think he's about 17 years old, 16, 17. And, and his coach growing, his first coach, I believe, was Angel Lopez. He's down in San Diego. And he started Brandon at the net volley. That, that's how they learned tennis was volley. But if you think about it, the, the, the continental grip—it's pretty much every grip except your forehand. Uh, there's something to be said being comfortable with the continental grip, and you know, he's starting with volleys too. Yeah. It's not a bad way to warm up. Right. But anyways, that's what I wanted to.
0: Know. No, that's great. Well, let's move on to junior tennis. I want to talk about junior tennis, then a little bit of college, and but really, what I want to get into is also uh, the transition to the pros and the practically how that works. So. Um, just a couple of things on junior tennis. So, uh, what are, what are things uh, they should be focusing on right now? You've already mentioned, you know, don't rush, et cetera, but what are some things you should, you think most juniors should be focusing on?
1: Well, I think at the end of the day, the main focus should be just on getting better not checking every week, what your UTR is when, when I grew up, we didn't really, we didn't have that much information. You, you got a card in the mail that said show up at this time and this, I don't even believe you knew who your opponent was. And Nowadays, it, it seems like it's so specialized, and, and it, it, sometimes some of these juniors can panic if they're not getting the, the results they want early. So, But I think, like I said, at the end of the day, you just want to keep getting better. You want to understand what your game is, but at the same time, you want to make sure that when you, let's say you do want to go pro, you don't have these huge holes in your game. So I think number one is to just... Keep the, keep the focus on getting better. I, I had a really good coach, uh, Jose Garris, told me, I think this is true, he said, you want to be in a hurry, but you don't want to be in a hurry. You, you want to be in a hurry, to get better, but you don't want to be in a hurry, you know, checking the results. There should be a sense of urgency to improve, um, but, you know, that, that's how I see it. I, I think I think we can do better. Yeah, no, I-
0: that's a great, and when you talk about well-rounded, I think I think the, the problem is is because they want to, they equate getting better with the wins per se, they use the game that beats their current opponents, but it's short-sighted. So, that, that's right. you know, that's part of it is I even tell club players, like, look, yeah, you're going to learn, you know, why do you do that shot and why do you do that shot selection? Well, because it beats your current opponents, but you don't want to be at that level. You want to be at this level. And in order to get at this level, you have to be able to do something different. And, uh, so you, you kind of sure. work them both simultaneously. So, um, what do you see, um, the time differences, for example, for juniors, what would you advise, you know, if they've got limited time or resources, how much time on the court versus maybe, you know, as they're getting a little older, Maybe training, you know, their foot speed or just conditioning. What do you think might be some
1: uh, percentages That's a great there? question. Uh, oh, that's a great question. I, I think you know, fourteen and under. This is no, uh, this is me. You know, kind of this is my idea, my opinion. Uh, you know, I could be wrong, but I, I think fourteen and under, you, you definitely want to hit a lot of balls. I, I always say that the, some of the best fourteen-year-olds the only reason why they're the best 14-year-olds is they've hit more balls than you. That has nothing to do with, at that age pretty much with the physicality that you, you, you run into at like 17, 18, even 16. So I'd say number one is you, you got to hit a lot of balls. I, I prefer live ball, um, but whatever it is, it could be feeding. I know Michael Chang's dad, um, he, he had him on the ball machine a lot, and he developed pretty well. i a guy that didn't miss. But, uh, yeah, and then once you start to get 15, maybe at the end of 14, 15, yeah, probably start doing some training. I'd probably say you want to do, like, two to three days a week of some sort of fitness. And obviously, like, I can use Claire. She's a 17-year-old. She does fitness five days a week with me on the road. We we do about an hour to an hour and a half, and we do four hours of uh, tennis. If we're in training mode, we do two hours in the morning she does her hour, hour and a half in between, and then we come back out and do two hours of um, set play, which set plays, I think, where it's really at, where you get to figure out what your game is and how to get the ball in under pressure. I think most important, too, is set play is huge. So, but then let me just say one more thing. I, I know, for instance, Sloan, she, she practices maybe two hours. She, she does more for on summer fitness, I, she's at a different level than we are, than Claire is. And I think Claire, at age 17, we saw things we can get better at. So that's maybe why the practices are a little bit longer. I, I see nothing wrong
0: with that. What do you think about uh, – so, you know, yeah, it could vary from player to player. Some people say we don't overtrain train Man, they're only just a kid, you know. Uh, so you think uh, – or, you know, younger player. Um, what about when they're playing during – tournaments do some of these players uh that you see that have this aptitude or this drive uh do they do some form of conditioning even on match days
1: i can tell you at the pro level they do um i know claire last year at um at the junior events i when i came in I'm, i'm pretty big on on fitness and being in shape so I, the French Open, she lost in the final to the junior French and won Wimbledon. But we treated those like training blocks. Because I wanted her to get ready for the pro tour, hopefully. So she was doing fitness every day, even on match days. Now that, That's an exception. Uh, everyone's different. At the end of the day, you want to stay healthy. Yeah. So, I, I was, I, This is how I see it. Is. When I came in with Claire, I gave her three goals. Number one was to have fun. If you're not having fun, it's you're wasting your time. You're wasting everyone's time. You got to have fun. You got to got to really enjoy it. So number one was have fun. Number two was stay healthy, and number three was keep improving. So you got to stay healthy. And if you, you if you feel like you're overtraining and you're going to hurt yourself, then back off a little bit. Let's make sure we're having fun and, and the practice is more focused.
0: What is your advice regarding playing up? playing ITFs, playing local or national tournaments? You know, a lot of kids, hey, I'm playing, you know, this tournament here. What, what do you What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, so it's, it's another great question. I, I do get that question a lot. And like I said, with, with all the information out there, now you can see who's where throughout the world. And sometimes I, I see players, and they're down in Egypt or Tunisia and wherever, and, you know, trying to get ITF points. But I think number one is you should be able to feel pretty good, at, you know, locally that you can win, you know, final semis, final win, whatever the local level is. And then personally I'd move on to national. And if you're one of the better national kids, yeah, I'd start playing ITFs. But I would make the local and national the first priority over, uh, you know, well, I see this girl's doing really well on ITF you know, which I see, I see, but you also want to make sure that you have the time to develop your game. And sometimes when you're, you're traveling, is kind of mentally exhausting, and it takes up a lot of time. So I think, you know, you'll know when you're ready for an ITF, but usually it, it should be that you've had shown some level of confidence at the regional levels first.
0: Yeah. Well, does that make sense? Oh yeah, no, and and we've talked about this before, and maybe share your opinion on you know you just you just kind of started it there. When does a player know they're ready on the path uh, to becoming professional? Well,
1: that's the thing is, is you really you really don't. Uh, there there is no uh, there is no right path, and sometimes uh, sometimes I, I see that you have a tendency to people have a tendency to look at. Well, this person is uh, just one a grade two in you know wherever in France, and so now I need I, I need to get my ITF up, and and when maybe they're not ready for that level, but there is everyone develops at different stages, and I could point out very successful college players who are doing well on the tour right now. Uh, yeah, sure, you can always test the waters in the ITF and say, hey, let's see where I stack up against the rest of the world, you know. But I, I think. Personally, I would say get, get to, like, top 20 in the nation and then say, okay, maybe I'll try a few ITFs. This is, now, if the ITF is local and you can jump in, it's a great way to play more matches. But I wouldn't make that the necessary focus. I need to get to number one, and that's, you know, I, I don't know. I get a little, sometimes I get a little passionate about it. It's, find out what, you know, where you can win at right now and then let's improve on that. There's nothing wrong with, with being, uh, you know, number one in your section or, you know, one of the, you know, top 20 in the nation. That's awesome. That's awesome. And don't get caught up in what everyone else is doing just because you don't want to be left behind because you just never know. And Sloan Stevens is a good example. So She always claims, this is what she tells me, is I wasn't one of the best juniors, you know, And but look where she's at now. All the juniors that, that uh, were the best, uh, she's she had a, One's had a very successful career. Some of the girls, I don't even know
0: where they are now. So you, you just never know. Yeah. Well, I want to mention just maybe ask one question about college and then get into this uh, this whole idea of you know the the pro aspect because um, not not a lot of people, in fact, I'd say very few, uh, understand kind of the, the the ladder there, how that works. But uh, in college, uh, what would you say? uh, would be the most, you know, from your experience and the experience of the players that you've uh, coached that have gone on to college, um, you know, from juniors to college, what do you think most should know about college with respect to their game? And I mean, that could include, Hey, the time demands, the, you know, where they want to be physically, tactically, whatever. Uh, What do you think is something that, you know, every kid aspiring to go to college, what should they really just focus on? You've mentioned, you know, getting better, et cetera, not worrying about the rankings and all that, but uh, what what would you, maybe one or two things that you think is most important about their college experience? Yeah, I heard
1: Brandon Coop and Paul Goldstein had some good comments on this. They both learned time management, which is, that'll help you in the rest of your life. So, College is an excellent way to work on your time management. Like I said with, with uh, one of the culture for have fun, you know. It's a great time to meet other people and develop social skills, and college is an excellent experience, and it should be seen as that. Um, and then, then just make sure that, let's say, you, 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 you do want to get better, but I'm hoping that's why everyone's going to college, is that, hey, I want to be a better... You know, I want to get better at tennis and I want to get better academically. Keep trying to improve. Find what you need to work on with your coach and, and try to make that an area of focus. Maybe pick two areas of focus You know, let's say each quarter or semester and say this is what I want to improve on. Keep it real simple and just try to get better.
0: That's good. Yeah,
1: That's good. College is excellent. I'm going to say one more thing about that. The ITF you know, I see this as Kind of a lot of people think, oh, I got to play ITF. I remember I talked to Stevie Johnson, probably one of the most successful uh, collegiate players of ever, and and he said I never played any ITFs, never. And Ernesto Escobedo, who he, he skipped college, but he didn't play any ITFs either. So ITFs is a good way to test where you are with the rest of the world, but it's not very, it's not uh, make or break if you don't play them, but. Uh, so anyways i can name a lot of successful people that that are doing well on the pro tour that did go to college and had a great experience in college stevie johnson's a good example
0: yeah and i think even stevie played a lot of baseball didn't he
1: yeah probably i i well who else was even like uh guys that didn't go to college i, I know i think andy roddick uh, played a lot of basketball i mean there's something to be said for playing other sports it, does
0: help your coordination and tennis. yeah well let's uh uh, let's move on to a topic that i think a lot of people like i mentioned have not really heard and um that's just kind of the day-to-day nuts and bolts of going from juniors we you know to college we've talked a little bit about but going from either junior to pro or college to pro or just so when someone's watching somebody on tv they go wow how did they get there what's the What's the uh, day-to-day grind and the the what-to-dos and the not-to-dos? So let me ask this one. What's When a player says, you know what, I want to go pro, whether it's, you know, out a college, let's just maybe go from college age uh, or after college, what's the first thing they got to do, nuts and bolts?
1: Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, they I think it's it. interesting
0: they got to find a futures tournament, or you know, so maybe just because uh, yeah. may, for you it's, it it happens all the time, but for the average listener out there, they're gonna be thinking, "Wow, never! I didn't know that." You know, so what what's the nuts and bolts? What do they got to do?
1: Yeah, so you, you got to start in the in the smaller smaller tournaments and start building your ranking up that way. See, there, there's some exceptions that I remember. I talked to Michael Chang about this, and he he said, "Yeah, I play. I got a wild card." which was like a free entry, and I think it was Scottsdale at the time, and I had all these smaller tournaments that I was going to play after, and I ended up getting to the semi, and all of a sudden I was 200 in the world. Some people can rise up a lot.
0: Okay, so let's let's say, for example, let's maybe list the tournaments you got uh, and maybe the different levels, because people hear this all the time you know you got your futures you mentioned an 80,000 you have 50s 10s etc maybe go through uh, from the the lower level up to the top and ex- and just give an explanation of how maybe the transition so when people are playing tournaments those are the ones that they lead up and they've got the uh, the grand slams you know on down the different levels maybe let's start yeah, yeah. there so so,
1: so I, I, you know you got your 15,000 which is probably the the, the, the smallest one uh, and, and then you get to the, then they have twenty five thousand up from then from twenty five you go like sixty thousand to a hundred thousand. These are all ITF pro tournaments. And then once you start getting to that, like one twenty five on the women, hundred twenty five thousand. That's WTA and one hundred fifty on the men. Uh, then you go then you start getting into the the WTA ATP. You have to be around. I would. Probably two top 200 to start getting into those um, consistently or getting into qualies. And then you have your slams, and the slams are, you know, those are the big ones that's where people can actually fund their their traveling for the year. So the main goal is to hopefully get into the slams. It's that you got to do the qualifying. I know for the French, uh, Claire was kind of on the bubble, she was 220. You have to be at about 200 to get into qualifying. I think last year the cut was 208, so now she's 181, so she's in. Um, but to get in main draw, you got to be right outside 100, pretty darn close.
0: So when people watch the BMP Paribas down where you are right now in the desert, when they watch uh, Miami, um, you know these are different levels as well. So where do these, for the people listening, where do these fit in on the on the journey up to the Grand Slams?
1: Yeah, and then, like, you have the international tournament, which I believe that's about 250,000. And then the premieres, which are kind of about the same, a little bit more. And then you have the master series, which is, like, Indian Wells, Miami. Those are the big ones. For for the girls, like Sloan, who are really trying to get the ranking even higher, you you need some pretty big points to do that. So she has to do well in these, these master's events, like... Uh, part or Rome or, or Miami Indian Wilds those are the, those are the big ones uh, leading up to the Grand and then the Grandslams obviously are, those are the biggest and that's the ones that everyone wants to try to win
0: So somebody coming out of college they play a couple futures they play some uh, 15,000 some 25s etc what would be an expectation for them to kind of say okay I, I've got to play a few of these let's say they do pretty well they make semis or finals or even quarters um how long would they expect that they need to do that until maybe they get up to you know a higher level tournament etc
1: everyone's different the, the way the sport's going is you know Federer and some of these other guys there Tony Hawk last year they're showing that you could play tennis much longer than when when we played so i would give yourself a reasonable time frame of, well, let's give it 3 years and see if i can First, get to three hundred. Three hundred, I think, would be a would be a great start. So three to four hundred, and then see. You never know. I mean, I, I felt like uh, when I got to six hundred, I was starting to play my best tennis. I was starting to understand the level that I was at and where my game was at. You know, obviously, the you know you can have a funding issue, but I, I think let's say like Robin Soderling, who was on your program last year. Uh, he said by age 19 he had broken in top 100. I saw a study that it takes about 18 months for some of these really top guys to break into the top 100. And so you see a guy like Soderling who can who can do that pretty pretty darn quick. But I would say don't don't limit yourself. You see, uh, let's say like tennis Sandgren. Uh, you know he wasn't necessarily the best right away, but he, he's moving pretty darn quick. He just lost in the finals of, of uh, Houston with Stevie Johnson. You know, Danielle Collins, I want to say she had been on the tour for about two years after college. Maybe it was about a year right now. She's at 50 in the world. She had a great Miami. She got to the semis. But uh, yeah, you want to you want to show that you are moving in the right direction. And If you plateau for three years and you're stuck at 400 and you just you know, you can't get out of it. I think you'll start to understand, like, okay, maybe I just can't get out of this. Maybe I'm I'm just not good enough. But I wouldn't limit yourself right in the beginning. Give yourself three, four years and see where you're at.
0: Well, what about a daily grind? So let's say, for example, you're just out there and you're starting to play these futures. What what could someone expect? You know, because uh, you know, you mentioned before, Jim Courier said, "Hey, I'm not going to leave anything to chance." You know, Alan Fox, you know, he would say, "Hey, man, I hit more balls than anybody that I ever you know I play. I, I just I just outworked them." Well, when you're out there traveling and everybody else is maybe doing, uh, you know, again, there might be different levels just like when you get into college or juniors, you know, somebody might have more talent and they don't work as hard. And then there may be some people who work really hard and don't have as much talent. Then there's a combinations in between. And you're out there trying to get it going. Uh, what do you, what do you advise players, you know, in terms of their day to day activity? You know, they're going to travel, they're going to train, find training partners, uh, do their conditioning and maybe they don't have a coach so what would you suggest for them uh, as a daily routine when they're just going through this grind
1: yeah that, that's tough that's uh, sometimes you know i, I feel like we claire has a, an advantage is she has a full-time coach with her on the road which which really helps to set up practice and keep her on track on what she's working on and making sure it's simple enough for her but uh, yeah, sometimes it's very hard at these lower levels to be able to, to afford a coach. So you, you got to make do and, and, uh, but try to keep getting better along the way. I, I will say that sometimes, sometimes I think some of these, you know, maybe not, but I have a feeling that sometimes these pros, they forget that they have one job. And that's, uh, that's to be a pro. So whether that means doing an ice bath afterwards or getting your fitness in or making sure training, you know, when you're on the court, it's productive. That's the one job you have. It's just like any other job. If I go to the office, you know, they expect me to perform them my best. So treat it like a job. We can, I think everyone can get better at that. You know, you watch like Azarenka's warm-up, her dynamic warm-up, that's 40 minutes. You know, better is about the same. That's that's. They're trying to protect million-dollar body parts. You know, they treat it like it's good. <laughs> It's their job.
0: Yeah, now that yeah. warm up isn't just it's. They're actually doing explosive and some. They start ending. They end that with some little bit of plyometrics, etc. I mean, they're it's a uh, it's progressive. They're not just you know doing their little typical stretch routine you see people doing. I mean, it's part of that, but yeah,
1: yeah, yeah absolutely. And making sure they're ready to go and they're not going to get injured. And you know, on the road, it is hard to find places to work out. You can still do on-court conditioning, which I do. I I bring cords with me, so uh, Claire and I do fitness together. So I always have cords. We do on-court stuff. There's no weight room. We try to mix both in, but it's not always possible.
0: Well, and I think that's part of the perception. In fact, I was explaining to a bunch of juniors just recently uh, during a college match. I said, you know, the warm-up that college players go through is actually more energy than most high school players exert in an entire match and so the idea is even at the pro level what you're saying here and this is what you know I'm hoping uh, aspiring pros are thinking about is you know what it is it's not just hey once you turn pro quote unquote you've arrived no it's actually it's hard work and you've got to enjoy the process you actually have to love doing the work and it's hard sometimes it's not going to be fun it's like oh i got to do this i'm sore you know, I had uh, some guys that were sore from a weight workout, and I said, "You know what? The best thing for that is a run, man." So we're gonna run. You gotta, you gotta help the lactic acid get out of the body, and uh, you yeah. know, get some circulation going. So some days aren't all that, uh, you know, physically pleasant, but you gotta push through it. And it's hard when you're on your own. Um, and yeah, that's one of the valuable things about college tennis or just having the social aspect of tennis because then you have people you can work out with and, and they're friends and you can and you can work things, uh, work things together and I know you guys uh, you and a bunch of guys uh, you know that I've coached in the past you had really good friends on tour and you could uh, work out with each other
1: Yeah you, you know again uh, like I said, you get to college and I know my social skills actually improved. Uh, and then you get on the tour, and you, you know all these other college guys out there, and you don't have a problem going up and asking to practice with someone. You also learn great habits in college. I know you were pretty big on fitness as well, and so I took that with me on the tour, and I would find play. there's always a track somewhere where you're at, and if there isn't, you can always you know, run, run on the street or do something on the court, and I think a lot of the lessons I learned were in college, and it actually helped me on the pro tour you know, manage my time better and work more effectively, efficiently.
0: When you were playing and you notice maybe some of the guys at the tournament you were playing, how many of them had a coach? Or did you guys, uh, you know, share a coach? I know even now there's some some players on tour that are pretty uh, uh, notable. They share a coach. Yeah, uh,
1: Stevie and Sam Query. Stevie Johnson and Sam Query, they share a coach. Um, sometimes it's not a bad idea, because uh, you know you get to you always have someone to practice with if you have two players there. Um, it, it helps save on the cost of, of uh, your tennis, which can get kind of expensive. I've seen uh, you know four people do a coach on the tour. You kind of make do. If you can't afford a coach, that's okay. There's some people out there that are doing pretty well that don't have coaches. You got to make do with with what you have.
0: Yeah. And when you're out there, Chris, when you're uh, let's say you're, you know, you may maybe sharing a coach or with a few guys. How much of your day, for example, would be spent on set play versus, you know, hey, I got to work on this. Because, you know, you maybe you're sharing some time with some other guy and uh, or gal and you're saying, you know, I've really got to work on this. But they're saying I've got to work on this. And, you know, and but you only have a limited time. But is that it's just kind of a give and take that you're saying? Look, man, I and this is what I tell players now It's like, look, most people when they get out and hit, they just hit, they just hit ground strokes. They don't work on something. And you've got to say, look, I've got to work on this specific one or two things uh, in this practice session. Yeah. Do you mind being the hitting partner for that? And then I'll reciprocate. You got to work on this, and I'll do this. So now you've got a two two and a half hour workout. And you both have gotten to work on something very specific. Is that what you had to do?
1: Yeah, you you've got to find a way to incorporate with with everyone kind of cooperating. And I can even say, like, I've uh, had days where, with maybe, let's say, Sloan and, and Claire, where they're working on two separate things, and they'll help the other person get their thing done, and so, and then we'll work on the, you know, whoever's next. So yeah, you can make it work like that. There's there's always ways to make it work. You just got to be creative and. You
0: know, it'll happen if, if you want to make it work. Yeah. Well, Chris, what are some of the most uh, memorable uh, times in college and uh, and and on the pro tour? Why don't you share some of those? And you can make and 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 and, 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 and you can pull some punches on me if you have to. So.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. In college, I remember uh, this is a good one. I, I say you know we had a, a rule that you couldn't miss two days of um, of practice. I think I had had a good excuse and I worked pretty hard I think it was my 21st birthday the day after and I said hey coach I think I might need the day off (laughs) and he said okay he actually gave me the day off I'll never forget that I I think I was going to work pretty hard Uh, I I think I stayed out too late the night before on my 21st birthday but I had so many good college experiences I I think you know one one great memory for me was uh, you know I think my senior year there were three guys I could never beat and they beat me every year and they beat the heck out of me and uh, you and I worked really hard coach to to get better and, and that year I beat all three one played at Pepperdine, one at uh, UCLA and the other at UNLV and they were all top guys in the country and I'll never forget that um, on the pro tour, I got a lot of great experiences but most of it is just traveling around with these guys and, and you get to you get to experience the world which is pretty amazing it's a pretty nice gift to have let's say it doesn't work out you know with your pro career which is very tough to make it out there you always take away good experiences like uh, going to greece or you know go i was in indonesia malaysia i was all over the world those are very valuable experiences and you make friends for life some of these guys i see now on the pro tour like tommy Shimada who's uh He's working for the Japanese Federation. I remember playing doubles with him in Portugal, like it was yesterday. Uh, it's just really cool to connect with old friends. A great experience. Yeah,
0: that's great. I uh, well, I remember uh, you know some guys you know currently that I coach, and they're gonna say, "Coach, you gave guys days off." Well, yeah, you have to, but uh, <laughs> but you, but the difference was the difference was you know. Uh, know we had a little different practice schedule then and and uh you know we could pretty much every day uh in southern cal man you're playing tennis every day and even the days off you guys practice and so that's when i said okay i'll give you guys i mean i think it was two days off every year was it every quarter but it was like and that means you know you had to do one one day off anyway just because of the college rules but this was a you might say an un. uh uh yeah unexcused anything goes okay for whatever reason personal you know but then i expected you guys to work your butts off and you did so uh that's yeah you're
1: very you're very fair i I will say this uh for for those that are listening is, is is you know the way i was raised is whoever whoever was my coach they're always coached to me so i think steve clark um he, he, I always, I just call him coach. And is, I think it's a good sign. Yeah, it really is. It's a good sign to respect. And, and what you did for me, uh, you know, my freshman year, I was eight on the team. My my sophomore year, I actually got to number one, played like number one a bit. And uh, you, you just really changed my life. And you really got me on the right direction with my tennis. So uh, I'm forever thankful for that. And you're an outstanding coach, in my opinion.
0: Oh, thanks, Chris. Thanks. Thanks. Um, yeah. Now you got me all flustered. I was uh, wasn't expecting that, so uh, I, I had a I had a few questions. Um, and you know, we'll be wrapping up in a bit. But you know, one of the things: um, what do you think characteristics of a great player are? The champion. If you had to say, if somebody came up and you said, "Hey, uh, Coach Chris," yeah. uh, you know, what 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 makes a champion?
1: I've really thought about this, and, and I've asked a lot of good good coaches about it that have worked with good players, and I think you have to be obsessed with with tennis. I, I think. You look at Roger Federer. I, I I can use him because I've heard stories about him. Is he is absolutely obsessed with tennis. He can tell you who's playing where. He follows it religiously, and his whole life is tennis. Um, that's number one. Is you have to really love it. And, and I can speak for you know Coco Golf, who's the 14 year old. Uh, you talk to her, and it's like talking to a 21 year old, where she's she's envisioning herself playing in the finals of a slam at age you know. 14, which is pretty amazing. Uh, the, the other thing that's really important is you want to be a good competitor. Now, uh, what the heck does that mean? And what is a good competitor? It's something to think about. But I've I talked to a lot of coaches on what makes a good competitor. And and sometimes I get, uh, you know, they're in it on every point, which, you know, Nick Dahl, I think, does a good job of that, or used to, maybe still does. But I think the sign of a good competitor is you want to get better as the match goes on. Um, so you're trying to figure it out. I, I think if you want to, you know, you want to see a result that's, uh, you know, let's like say you lose, 6-2, 7-5. 7-5, 6-0, the reverse, that, that sometimes shows that you just, you just went away or sometimes the level is just too good for you. But uh, I think, uh, you know, being a good competitor uh, and this, you know, you got to have this amazing belief in yourself. You know, I, I know better are an adult. They're, they're very humble guys from what it sounds like. But I, I can promise you that, that they probably believe in themselves uh, more than anyone. You've got to really believe in yourself. So, you know, and one one last thing is, is how do you stay calm under pressure? You know, that, that's a big thing. How can you, you know, it's four all in the third set and it's deuce. How do you make that first serve? I think the good players will probably find a way to do it.
0: One of the things, uh, and I'll just backtrack a sec, um, is you know when I asked uh, Chris about you know experiences and uh, good memories, etc. You know, as a coach and even as a player, you know part of being a team, and this is why I encourage juniors to play high school tennis, even if they're a USTA player. Um, you know, because a ball is a ball is a ball, whether it's in a tournament or in a high school match. You know, if you're better than somebody, then serve and volley. If you're better than somebody, then work on your chip and charge. Or if you know. So there's always ways to improve a certain shot. But the just being part of a team and having those fun times. I remember, you know, when you were playing guys in the team with you know, I remember one time uh Frederick Bach, who was a gorgeous looking uh, player, you know, in terms of his game, what a backhand. One hand I've you know, he, he had a shot that I, you know, I've never seen anybody else hit. It was a kind of a outside in slice around a guy on the backhand side, just kind of hooked the ball around the guy. And it was with a one-hand slice. It was it was really interesting. Um, but, you know, you guys came to practice. I don't think you did, but uh, he, he had a reverse mohawk, you know, and it was, uh, you know, for a match. He kind of looked like yeah. Bozo the Clown. And you guys had a great time. You guys, you know, lived together and uh, just the experiences there. Yeah. Um, you know, some, some good laughs. Uh, and, but, you know, part of that is you guys yeah. were serious, man. You know, you, you work hard, and that's the balance. Sometimes people, uh, when they're competing uh, – you know, they're trying to think I want to have fun 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 that's true but the the great competitors I think they actually love the the process they love the grind and the competition that's the fun part is seeing if You're they right. you know You're if right. they, you make me better I have a you know my current uh, assistant you know we hear people talking about this all the time we say make me better and if you and if you play a great point against me and beat me great make me better you know so uh I Absolutely. think I think competitors like doing that're right well, uh, as we're coming to our end here, I'd like just to uh, remind people um, that you know, you've been listening to the Coach Steve Clark PhD show with uh, USDA women's coach Chris Taunts. He was former top uh, NCAA player. Um, he coaches uh, Sloan Stevens and Claire Lou and a bunch of other uh, great young uh, girls coming up in the ranks. Uh, be sure to like it and share the podcast and my website with your friends at CoachSteveClarkPhD.com. There you'll find blogs and podcasts and resources, video discussion. Um, I'd like to thank uh, Arrow Concrete and Asphalt Specialties of Spokane. And I also welcome your comments and questions. And you can reach me at Steve at CoachSteveClarkPhD.com. And I'd like to leave you with a couple thoughts. Um, and uh, Chris, after I mention these, maybe you'll have a couple a couple comments on them. But one is this. Uh, the other day I was sitting, a lot of times I when I'm in my car, I'm just kind of, In dead time, I think of uh, different uh, little sayings, but this one I was thinking about and it says, you know, because some people will make excuses or blame other circumstances for their losses or for what happened. And I was thinking about it. I said, you know, when something is not the way you like it, don't be what you don't like. Don't be a contributor. Be a change agent. So when something is not the way you like it, don't be what you don't like don't be a contributor be a change agent because sometimes what happens is guys don't like that this happened and then they kind of take that role and they start getting upset etc no don't be that don't be a change agent be somebody that is in control of the situation and the second thing is by martin luther king jr he said we must accept finite disappointment but never lose infinite hope and so as a competitor that really resonates you you might have some you know temporary disappointments but you never lose hope so again it's we must accept finite disappointment but never lose infinite hope what do you think about that chris
1: yeah that's outstanding i number one is yeah like uh like you were saying the first point is, is you, you want to be a leader if you don't like something lead by example and uh, the, the second thing is uh like Martin Luther King was saying is, um, yeah, you, you can't get too disappointed if, if you don't like losing, guess what You're probably gonna lose every week unless you you know your last name is better then, then maybe you won't, but it's part <laughs> of the sport, so you gotta handle handle the winning and losing the same, and the ultimate goal is just keep getting better that's, yeah. that's number one <laughs> keep improving, but i like I like both of those don't you
0: well, Chris, man, it's been an absolute blast. it's uh you know, I, it's, whenever I'm in Southern Cal, it's, it's fun to see you. And, uh, you know, you're doing a great job. I, I'm just tickled pink to find out, uh, you know, how you're doing. And, you know, who would have thought, who would have thunk that, uh, you know, 20 years ago, you'd be doing this and you're just doing it at an elite level and you're getting to see the world and the best players and work with the best players and really proud of you. And, uh, you know, it's just a great oh, example you. and a great testament to kids coming up. That you know what, you just keep pressing, keep working hard, and uh, you never know what happens.
1: Yeah, I want to thank you for your time too. Keep keep up all the good work. I, I really enjoy these podcasts, and thanks for having me on
0: today. All right, Chris. Well, everybody in the uh, in the audience, listening audience, come back and check us out on future podcasts. And as I always, say uh, the. The intro song and the exit songs are by Mike and Bob Bryan. It's their song "Let her Rip." So as I say, "Let, rip. let It Rip."